That bumper is almost not fair, isn't it? Because everyone's like, I'm hungry right now, and I just looked at all those leftovers and all those good things, and now I want to go, go have lunch. Well, I'll try to not go for hours, just joking. But uh, we're in the middle of our series of leftovers, and basically what we've been doing is there's been some messages, some ideas that didn't fit with sermon series of the past, uh, some things that we need to revisit that have been in the back of the refrigerator, and we're pulling them out and taking a look at them. And today is a PG-13 message, and a PG-13 message is where we get into uh, subjects that need parental guidance. And when Cindy and I were raising our kids and they were still in our home, uh, these kinds of messages actually we considered a gift because it would cause us to talk about some things that might be a little bit awkward, a little more difficult, and we wanted to get them out on the table. So yes, we'll be talking about intimacy and things like that. I will be direct at times. Uh, if you have a younger child here, some things are just going to go right over their head, and that's fine. Hopefully, they don't go over your head. But uh, you know, we'll be talking about uh, things that uh, sometimes are a little, a little difficult. Um, I can uh, remember back uh, when I was about seven or eight, and my parents gave me the little speech about the birds and the bees. And, uh, you know, I can remember tr trying to get my mind wrapped around that, what that even meant. And my dad likes to remind me that my response after he told me all this, I can remember being in my bedroom, uh, Jeff and I were still sharing a bedroom, I don't know where he was, but I was there, and afterwards I said, I guess if you got to do that, to have a kid, I'll do it maybe once or twice. And dad loves saying that all the time. He goes, yeah. So anyway, so that was my first introduction and it was great because it came from my parents. And so then later on, uh, most of us have experienced something like this. Uh, I was probably 10 or 12 and we were visiting one of my cousins and got out of the car and I've shared this story before. Uh, immediately my cousin met me at the door, said, Jay, come with me, I gotta show you something. I'm like, I'm kind of being, yo, no, you got to see it. So he ushered me up to his bedroom and opened his closet door. And behind his closet door, there was like this Eve's little hatch. And we went in there and he started to show me these magazines I'd never seen before. And, uh, you know, I was 10 or 12. And wow, I, if, if, I'm not, if, I'm, if I'm not careful, I can still, you know, these 40 plus years later, pull those images up from the back of my mind. You see, this is the world we live in. And fortunately, my parents had shared when, before things really started happening with me physically when I was young enough, that when we got into all that kind of stuff, I was able to take it maybe a little bit more of a grain of salt than that, uh, because it wasn't like totally a big surprise. But again, this is the world we live in. And um, we ask, you know, we think about uh, even uh, pornography and expression of all this. Uh, right now, or at least before the um, um, pandemic, uh, it was uh, added up to be a hundred billion plus a year industry, and uh, more than 30% of the internet is consumed with it. And uh, they also had this figure, and I think it's probably higher: 90% of all boys and 60% of all girls are exposed to internet pornography by the age of 18. And uh, pornography sites attract more searches than Amazon, Netflix, and Twitter combined. So it is there. So the question is, we need to speak to it. Uh, sometimes uh, I bump into people and uh, they start talking about this, and sometimes they grew up in the church, and this subject was never on the table. And uh, this is the real world we live in, so we don't want to get too graphic, we don't want to get that far, but we have to know how do we navigate this sexually charged society that we live in. 
And one of the first things we gotta ask ourselves is, is why is this even the case? And the case is this, is that we are made for intimacy. We are made to have connections with other people. God wired us with this. And uh, why we need to, uh, you know, why we need uh, to have, we have direct desire that was, why we need to direct desire that we were designed for intimacy. So we're wired for this as human beings, and this is an expression of this, but just like everything else, we can take something and uh, use it to point to God and uh, be who he intended us to be as human beings living on the planet, or we can take it and uh, just mess it up. Uh, Proverbs in general overarching umbrella statement says this he says you will never succeed in life if you try to hide your sins confess them and give them up then god will show mercy to you and uh, this message isn't made to beat everyone up it's not made to make you feel guilty but when you and i don't deal with sin being out of step with God, how he intended us to live, what his preferred will for us is, it is just gonna cause, uh, it's just gonna muddy the waters of our life. And all of us, it's, it's a different intensity in our life. And so God is saying here, if you confess it, if you work with me on it, I will show you mercy and help you get to the other side of it. And again, it's, it's a hard subject to talk about. It's difficult. It's not easy. But not, we don't have the luxury not to talk about it. Because we don't talk about it, it creates problems that are, that are much more significant. And I, I, you know, sometimes work with individuals, especially over the last 30 years, that uh, have just never had closure in this area. And it just always continues to be a problem for them. And, you know, having someone who's in their 40s uh, in my office, 50s, 60s, or whatever, and they're not free from this. And it's just, it's just kind of gained energy and traction in their life, and uh, they want to be free from it. And like we talk often around here, if you've got to go five miles into the woods, you've got to go five miles out of the woods. So let's, let's, let's stop before we get five miles in the woods. Let's just get a, a step into the woods and pull back and go in a different direction. So um, that's really important. And some of the reason it's so confusing for us is this idea of this timeless lie that uh, many of us have uh, bought into. It may be subconsciously bought into, but we really uh, have this, this, this heartbeat, this rhythm that reflects a lot that goes on in society, and I'm not an anti-society. I love our society, but obviously there are reflections of a godless society that come up, but then there's reflections that are, are, are godly and are good. So uh, don't think I'm throwing everything in society, you know, under the bus. But this idea of a timeless lie, and we see it's all the way back in the beginning in Genesis, Genesis 3.1, and you can look, fall along on the screen, or one of the Bibles around you, you can pull that out and use that or uh, download you version if you want to follow along that way and uh, again if you don't have a bible a paper bible feel free to take that rack bible as a gift so uh, we start off here in genesis 3 1 now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the lord god had made he said to the woman did god really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden uh, he she goes on she responds the woman said to the serpent we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden but god did say you must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden 
and you must not touch it or you will die. It's interesting. Uh, if you go back and look in the first couple of chapters, God never said don't touch it. She kind of added that onto uh, the list here. And uh, another thing I love just to remind ourselves, you know, sometimes when you talk to people about faith, they say, oh, you got so many rules. When God set everything into motion, there was one rule. And we couldn't even handle having one rule. And uh, so he's not big into rules. He started off with that way. And it just had to unfold that way to show where we are disappoint, disobedient to, to the way he would have us live. And so we, we move on here. And for God, let's see, here we go. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And that really was the attraction is that we wanted to be like God. We wanted to kind of be in charge of our own destinies. And that sounded really good to Eve and Adam and they, they partake. And then it brings everything down. And uh, ever since then, we've been dealing with what is truth and what is not truth and, and how we play with that. So from day one, you know, this idea of dealing with that. Now you move forward thousands of years and you get to Paul, and Paul writes this about our bodies and about our intimacy and our sexuality. He says this, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And we hear a lot about this idea, my body, my decision, my body, all this kind of thing. Well, if you're a Christ follower, that doesn't float in any area because your body is actually God's body. So you need to think through that grid. How do I honor God with my body? It's not mine. It's been paid for by a price. It's been pray, paid for by the love of God, Jesus dying on the cross for us. Uh, we saw the communion last week and baptism, which reminded us of his resurrection and how we're identified with that. So we were bought with a price. So we need to start, stop the lies. If you're a Christ follower, you are God's. Not like God's God, but you are owned by God. So you need to honor God with your body. If you're thinking about following Christ, I just want to be clear. If you say yes to Christ, you are giving yourself to him. Um, you're not earning his love. You already have his love, but you're giving yourself to him. And we were bought with a price. So when we start to think about these lies, uh, one of the things that's out there and we need to deal with is this, is sex is not just a physical act. In a lot of places, it's just a physical act. It's just a biological thing. But what's interesting, if we look at laws in society, we're going to see if someone uh, hurts you physically attacks you or whatever, there's one set of laws. If someone hurts you physically, sexually, it's a whole nother set of laws. So society says there's no difference, yet in our law system, there is a difference. There is much more going on when it comes to our sexuality and our intimacy. There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much a spiritual mystery as a physical fact. As it is written in Scripture, the two become one. And uh, for a lot of us, that's hard to get our minds around, but those of us who are married can kind of see that, that there's something supernatural that takes place when we join our lives with our spouse. And a part of that is intimacy, but that's just a part of it. 
and it's just not a physical act. More is going on. That's why your spouse could do something that was very hurtful to you, and you would feel it at one level, but if they did something that involved their, their bodies, it would be even more hurtful to you. See, it's just not a physical act. We've got to get beyond that concept. It does something to our heart and something to our soul. Also, we need to realize you're not missing out if you're not sexually active. Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, we say, well, you're missing out. You're, you're, you're losing out. You're, you're not getting to just enjoy being. That is, that is absolutely not true. You and I should see that we, if we're outside the boundaries of marriage, we should not be sexually active. And that can take on a lot of forms. I'm not going to go through all that. You know what I mean. Sexually active outside of marriage is not God's preferred will for any of our lives. And he knows that because he wants to protect us. He wants uh, life to be as whole as it can be in this, this world. Also, this idea that uh, I need to have lots of experiences, uh, this is a lie. A great lover is not someone with many partners. Sometimes I have to work with someone that has had many partners, and actually, it, it hurts the relationships going forward. It's, it's, in, it's, it's a problem. And so this idea of more partners, you're better, you know what, you, you know, all this kind of stuff, uh, this idea, if you can figure out whether you're, spirit, you're, you're sexually compatible and all these kinds of things, that, that is not accurate. That's not true. When you, in a God-honoring way, and, and all of us have brokenness in our life, but when you can uh, have one partner for as long as you both are living and it's just growing in that direction, that is just a sweet thing, and God wants us to experience that. God wants us to have that. Yes, God can help pick up the pieces when there's brokenness. Yes, there's life after that. But in an ideal world, you and I start out, we get married. No one, no one starts dating someone and gets engaged and gets married within the back of their mind. Yeah, if this, this works out, this doesn't work out, and maybe this will be like three or four marriages. You know, that, just, that just isn't a part of their, their thinking. And, and, and that's just kind of craziness. God wants us to have a partner, and as long as that other partner is living, build into that kind of life. Uh, so there's the, the timeless lies that are out there, and we could have shared more of them, but you get the idea of what I'm saying. Uh, but then we see this tragic story that Solomon talks about, and it's kind of interesting that here you've got the kettle calling the, uh, kettle, what does it go, the kettle calling the pot black or something, right? Uh, you know, he, he, he himself was a tragic story in this area, but um, he starts to begin to tell this story, and he starts off with, "'My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you.'" Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. You get that idea? You know, anything gets near your eye, you're like, you know, trying to guard it. So guard these at that level, that intensity. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. He goes on. They will keep you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive ways. And you could read this either way. It will keep you uh, from the adulterous man, from the wayward man with his seductive words. This is an equal opportunity thing these days. So, so don't get clouded by uh, the words that are up there. And then we read on. He says, At the window of my house I looked down through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. So he says, Guard God's word, 
Guard these teachings. Let them govern your life, direct your life. And then he says, I'm looking out the window, and all of a sudden I see this guy. And he does not look like he's going in a right direction. He has no sense. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight. That's a bad time to be out. As the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. So you have this guy, and again, he is moving in a direction he shouldn't go. I, I can just see uh, the writer, Solomon, just kind of like staying at the window. Don't do that. Watch out. Don't, don't, don't. Then he came out to a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute, and was crafty intent. She's unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the square, at every corner, she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him. And it's interesting to the side here of taking hold. It's like he had a little reservations. He knew he was in the wrong place. And he's hesitant. He's a little conscious, but that doesn't stop him. And with a brazen face, she said, Today I have fulfilled my vows, and I have food from my fellowship offering at home. So again, she's projecting that she's a, you know, a, a godly person at the same time. And uh, this is okay kind of idea. And then we read on. So I came out to meet you. I've looked for you and have found you. I've covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I've performed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy our, ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money and will not be home until full moon. And then we read, with persuasive words, she led him astray. She deduced him with smooth talk. Now, again, this does not get him off the hook, but it is a hard situation. He is just falling right into it. This is a tragic story. Um, you, you know, um, you know if, if you could put music to the background about now, you should hear the Jaws music going, da -na -na. you know, this is, this is it, it's, it's coming. The things are not going to be good. And then we read on, all at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into the noose, till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. And you see, it is just, this is just disastrous. He's throwing all caution to the wind. He's going outside those boundaries. He thinks he's going to have the best night of his life. And Solomon is saying, stop, don't do that. Be wise about this. Now, we've got to remember that God created sex to be a permanent bond between your partner. There's supposed to be some beauty there. There's supposed to be just you and that person in ideal. And again, there are people and that, that that's not the case. But understanding this, understanding God's intent, um, it's so, you know, wonderful when you, you hear and meet a couple that, you know, fell in love, got married, and now they've been married like 50 years, uh, 58 years. That is fantastic. That's what we should all want and desire. And uh, yes, there's forgiveness, there's mercy, there's restart, fresh start. But why go down that road if you don't have to? Uh, there's still those wounds that uh, can come up. There's still those comparisons that come up. 
And uh, just like I said, you know, that one experience going to my cousin's house, I can still pull that up from the back of my mind. And that was just looking at a magazine. When we're involved in these things, they do become back in part of our life, a part of our mind. Uh, we also need to realize that sex is powerful enough to consume everything. In today's society, we actually even have it labeled as there are people that are addicted and they have to go into super therapy. It's just become their whole focus, their whole drive. And it, again, God intended it to be something beautiful for you and your spouse. We read, sin is like that, like a fire that burns until it destroys everything. It would completely ruin my life's work. This is Job writing. And uh, any kind of sins like that, but especially this sexual sin, it's just not, it's, there's something more going on. So when we start to think about how do we respond, how do we navigate this world with, with all the stuff going on, we've got to live in it but not be of it. We've got to navigate that. What do we, where do we start? Well, I, I think sometimes it starts with really a trust problem. We really don't totally trust what God is saying about this subject. And that's why we allow ourselves to play with fire around the edges. Uh, that famous trust verse we love to pull out when it's money, when it's I don't know what's happening in my job, when I don't know what's happening in my life. We love to pull this verse out and say, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen to God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. So the big question starting point here is, can I trust God enough to give him my sexuality? Can I say, you know, I have these desires. You put these desires in me. You want me to be, you made me to want to be connected. You made me to want to find that special person. And you put it in this, these boundaries. I don't like the boundaries. I mean, I wish I could function those boundaries. It doesn't seem to be happening. So for me to uh, get that kind of connection, to have those desires, I got to go travel outside these boundaries. Uh, so I, I hear you, God, but I don't hear you. The question is, can we trust God enough to give him our sexuality? And uh, do we? Uh, you know, when God says no, it's to provide or to protect and provide. It's not to limit. Um, sometimes, you know, you get into these conversations and, uh, you know, to, not to sound coarse or hard. You know, somebody's, in a sense, gone off the rails. They're doing their own thing and uh, not in a put-down way. But sometimes I, I like to say, so how's that working for you? And if they're honest, they go, well, it isn't working for me. That's why I'm here talking with you. So, so let's go back and trust God with our sexuality and see if that starts working for us. Yes, there's a part of life that's not, in a sense, fulfilled, but there's a whole lot more of living than that piece, even though it's an important piece. You know, as a church, we had to actually write up a marriage statement a few years ago, and I just want to share some of it's in your notes. You can pick up the whole, uh, the whole statement. If you stop by guest services, they can, they can find this for you. But it starts off like this. We believe that God wonderfully and unchangeably creates each person at conception as male or female, and that these two distinct complementary genders together reflect the image of and the nature of God. Therefore, we recognize that God created marriage to be exclusively the union of one man and one woman. 
and that intimate sexual activity is to occur exclusively within that union. We go on to say, God created sex for our pleasure and for our good, but he also gave us boundaries for sexual purity. Sex is to be enjoyed between a man and a woman within the covenant of marriage. If you're single, sexual purity is not having sex. If you're married, sexual purity is having sex with your spouse and no one else. And that's designed to protect us and to provide for us. And it's one of the things, do we trust God in this area or don't? And when we don't trust God in this area, we bring a lot of hurt into our lives. That doesn't have to be there. It's easy for me to say, you know, I was married when I was 22, and sometimes I'm talking to people that are older than 22, and, uh, you know, I try to say, you know, it's better to be a little lonely than be in a, in a bad relationship. And they go, yeah, 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 Dave, I, I know you. I, yeah, it's easy for you to say because you've been married since you're 22. But I could probably, and don't want to embarrass you, I could probably hand the mic around in a room like this, and you would say, yeah, Dave, you're right. Well, it's not really even Dave, you're right. It's, it's God's right. And if I trusted God in this area, I wouldn't have had all this extra hurt. So it's not, to, it's not to limit you, it's not to hurt you, it's, it's nothing like that. It's not to judge you, it's just God established this system to make life sweet and wonderful. And it includes intimacy, includes this connection, and he wants us to experience it in the fullest way we can possibly experience it. So the question is, what do you do when your body and heart wants what you know is wrong? Isn't that really uh, the, the storyline of a lot of things in life, not just intimacy? What do you do when your body and heart want what you know is wrong? How, how do we respond to this? How do we actually put um, this trusting God into action? And I'm just going to give you a few ideas. I mean, you could come up with 20 ideas, but this is just to get you started. Again, I said there's, there's three uh, sites on the talk it over section. There's one more geared for women, one more geared for men, and then there's this general one, and I like the general one. It's called uh, The New uh, Drug, and it's all about, uh, you know, intimacy and all those kinds of things, and what's interesting about it is it's not a Christian site. It's, it's a site that just shows all the science behind how this really does end up hurting people. So you've got celebrities that definitely are not Christ followers even a little bit, and they're just saying, you know, I've realized that pornography, I realize that this is just, it hurts my relationships if it doesn't help me. So I encourage you to take a look at those. So one of the first things we think about is looking away. But I made an agreement with my eyes not to look with desire at a girl. Job says this. Job's trying to say, you know, I've tried to live a God-honoring life, and th this is a part of that. And, uh, you know, this goes, again, both ways. When you see girl or guy, don't say I'm just picking on one uh, gender over the other. Uh, but the idea of looking away, and sometimes it can be hard. I remember the last, the second to last suit I bought, I went up to this Parker Brothers place. It was uh, near Laconia, New Hampshire, and uh, I was getting my suit and all this kind of stuff. And uh, the woman who was waiting on me, 
Her, her outfit was just waiting to have a malfunction. I mean, it was just waiting. And she is just like right up in my face. And I'm kind of like looking at the ceiling, looking down. I go, she must think I'm really weird. But I mean, she was right there. I was trying to look away, you know. You know, if I had, if it was face mask time, I would have put it up over my eyes. You know, I just, it's just, it was just, and she was oblivious to it. But I'm like, I'm looking away. You know, it's, we live in a world that that it's that it's it's difficult. These situations have, but the idea is, you notice it and you look away. Part of that is capturing your thoughts, capturing your thoughts. You're a human being. You're alive. You're attracted to the opposite sex. It's a part of who you are. God made you to be that way. Um, and so what do you do? You've got to capture your thoughts. Uh, this is in a general term, but uh, we capture every thought and make it give up and obedient to Christ. So we have a thought come into our mind, and we go, I've got to kind of like get this out. I need to grab a hold of something else to think. And, you know, they've done studies that where your mind patterns go you make them stronger. If you go someplace else, you make that stronger. And what's great is they, they say you can rewire your brain thinking. So you can think one way and you start thinking another way and eventually it becomes the rhythm of your mind. So you learn to capture thoughts, whatever they may be, and make them captive to Christ. Uh, I remember going out for breakfast uh, with these guys. I was like 20-ish and uh, probably 25 or something, and they were wicked old. Uh, one was probably 48, and the other one was like 53. And we're meeting, we're talking about this. I'm like, you guys are like, are barely alive, you know. And then they brought this whole issue up, and they said, Dave, uh, what we did is we've memorized Scripture, so when something comes up, we, we retrain our mind, and we go right to it. And this is the verse they talked about, and some of you know this verse. Uh, I kind of remember True Noble. That's how, you know, from the power plant. Isn't that weird? That's how I have to start getting into the words. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And I don't know about you, but I'm not gifted with a, a mind that can be thinking about two or three things at the same time. So if I pull a verse like that up, that's where my mind is. What a wonderful gift. So you capture your thoughts by bringing a scripture verse up. And I'll, you know, when talking about this subject, um, I'm a person that I memorize a verse, I hold on to a verse, and the minute I stop rehearsing it in my mind, it's gone. And then I make these people that can, you know, especially in a one of these kids, you know, they can pull up like any verse. That's just the way their mind is, is wired. But for my mind, it doesn't give me a pass. It just means when something's going on in my life, God gives me a verse. I hold on to that verse and I keep it in my mind. And as it starts to dissipate and something else comes up, I grab a hold of another verse, learn that verse, and it's okay. Like I didn't even chance it to read Philippians 4.8 from my mind. Because that was a time where I memorized it, and now I'm on to something else. So, so that's okay. So don't say, well, I don't have a mind to memorize verses. You can memorize one verse, hold on to it, and let it, in a sense, cleanse your soul and your heart, reorder your thinking, and then move on to something else. Uh, sometimes we have to just run for our life. And this may sound really harsh. Some of us probably ought to get rid of our smartphones if we can't control where we go with the internet, maybe we need to get rid of our smartphones. And, and I'm a tech guy, but it's 
worth it. If, if, if you can't be disciplined in this area, it's worth it. Now, there's programs you can get and shut it all down, but, but again, you're, you're running for your life. Don't assume that you know it all. Run to God and run from evil. It's interesting. That's verse 6 out of Proverbs 3, 5, and 8. We always quote that. We don't get to verse 7 where it says, run from God. You don't know it all, and you run from God. You run towards God, and you run from evil. Um, this is exactly what Joseph did. We talked about this, I think, a couple summers ago. Uh, Joseph is uh, the number two guy in this household. The owner is the number one guy, and his wife liked Joseph, and she was just after him, and she caught him one day by his cloak and said, come to bed with me, but he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Boy, I have to tell you, I give Joseph a lot of credit, probably 18, 19, maybe 20. I don't know if I, I don't know, even as a, trying to follow Christ, I don't know if I, I, could have, I could have said no in that situation. But he does it. He runs from evil. And sometimes you've got to run from it. Whatever the triggers are, whatever gets you, think, you know, closing off, what you watch on TV, the movies you run. Uh, I really uh, have liked, uh, haven't done a lot of this, but uh, Angel TV, I think it's called Video Angel or Angel Video, uh, you can get it and it will filter some of your TV shows so you can cut out some of the junk used to be networks would, you know, take a movie and like rework it and you wouldn't get all the junk. Uh, you can do that with like a video angel. There's stuff out there so you can actually watch a movie and not be exposed to all that stuff. Also, cultivate healthy intimacy. Cultivate healthy intimacy. You've heard me say this before. Be the man or woman that the man or woman that you want would want. Be that person. So if you in your mind picture, hopefully, someone who loves the Lord and all this kind of stuff and is growing in their relationship with God, you need to think about what would that person want in a spouse? I need to become that person so when God brings that person into my life, I'm actually attractive to that person. Sometimes I had a hard conversation. Someone said, yeah, I really would like a, a guy or a girl like this. And I said, I said, I don't even want to say this, but that kind of guy or girl is not going to want you because of the way you act, what you do. So, you know, cultivate healthy intimacy. Um, in marriage, the marriage bed must be a place of mutuality, the husband seeking to satisfy his wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Selfishness has no place in the marriage bed. No place. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether it is in bed or out. Don't refuse to give, yourself, give your bodies to each other. That's the mystery of marriage. Now, I'm not talking about abusive, weird stuff in that. I'm talking about normal kinds of things and the idea that you are there to serve the other person inside the bedroom, outside the bedroom. And when that becomes your focus... When that becomes your direction, it starts changing everything. And I, again, I, it surprises me sometimes, and this isn't to pick on anybody, it surprises to me how selfish people can be and how selfish they can be when it comes to um, bedroom stuff. Be satisfied with God's love. Whether you're married or not, God completes your life, your spouse 
complements your life. And that's different. So if you're looking, even in your life now, and you're a Christ follower, and you're looking, I want to find this person because they'll complete me. No, it's God who completes you, married or not. Be satisfied with God's love. Open your mouth and taste. Open your eyes and see how good God is. Blessed are you who run to him. I had a dear friend who's probably 30 or 40 years older than us. Uh, She was a missionary in Kenya, and uh, she came back from the mission field for some health reasons. She was in her 60s at this time. Uh, We ended up calling her Aunt Bunny, and, uh, you know, you always go, wow, it's too bad, you know, Aunt Bunny never got married. And one time, and we would go over over her house and play Uno every once in a while, and one time, when I was winning, by the way, uh, Uno game, uh, she, she started to talk about her life, and she said, you know, I would always hoped to be married. I, 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 you know, there was one time in college that there was a guy, but it just didn't work out. And, uh, and uh, you know, so that's, that's a sadness in my life. But she said, you know, it's, it's God who, who completes me. And, uh, you know, it's easy, again, for me to say it. I've been married, you know, 33 years. Uh, but in her situation, she was living it. And she lived her life in service to the Lord, and I think she passed away in her mid-80s, but all the time she was satisfied with God's love first and foremost. So it is possible. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Does God's love satisfy you? all day long? Does it create a joy in your heart no matter what you're going through? It's possible. It can be. Uh, It takes work. It takes energy. It takes focus, but that is possible. And so when it comes to this area of intimacy, if I seek that first, I have the energy and strength to deal with how life is unturning like our friend Bunny. At the resurrection, this is interesting, Jesus says, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. I go, what in the world does that mean? I don't know what that totally means, but I like the way Eugene Peterson uh, translates it because he tries to explain what it would be like to be like angels. doesn't mean we become angels. doesn't mean we get our wings and all those kinds of things. But he says it this way, at the resurrection, we're beyond marriage. As with angels, our ecstasies and intimacies then will be with God. The idea here again is, yes, it's sometimes hard to have God's love satisfy us. But in the next chapter of life, when we go to be with him, when he creates a new heavens and a new earth, we read about that in the book of Revelations, we will find we will be completely satisfied with God. We'll still have relationships with other people. I still think we'll know our spouses. Whatever that looks like, I don't know. But our primary relationship will actually be with God himself. So as we look at this hard issue, I'm sure you're happy you came this Sunday. And, uh, you know, I don't necessarily like talking about this stuff myself, but uh, it's something that the church should be informing our lives about. Uh, A lot of places, uh, when they do surveys, will say their church never talked about this stuff and never gave them any direction, and neither did their parents. And so, again, that's why I think this is a gift for families and a gift for us to talk about. But this is kind of the bottom line. Intimacy is not a problem you solve. 
It's a desire you direct from a full soul. So you're going to always want to be connected. Uh, so that, that's just how we're wired. So it's not something like you check off and complete and all of that. It's a desire you direct from a full soul. A full soul that's based their life on the love that God has for them. Would you please close in prayer with me? Father, this is a really uh, challenging subject to talk about and uh, to process through. And none of us have arrived in this area. All of us are in different places. But I ask that as we digest and think about this subject, you would help us to take our next step. And we would find that we direct our desire for intimacy towards you. And then we celebrate when you bring someone into our life to complement our life, not complete it. But we wouldn't get that out of order. And some of us may be in a place where we've never really settled on the fact that we're completed in you. Even those of us who have said yes to you. Yes, but kind of maybe not. Help us to get to the place where we really trust in you and lean not on our own understanding. We ask all of this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.